Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. This is Moses. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. She hid him because Pharaoh had issued a decree that all male Hebrew babies should be killed. But when she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket, and she coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the tile reeds along the bank of the Nile River. His sister stood off at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile for an oil of a lay bath. Uh, that's in the Hebrew. You didn't see that? And her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. Why, this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I mean, this was a setup. Moses' mama had sent Moses' sister, watch the baby, and she goes down to bath. If, if, if they don't kill the baby, uh, you know a wet nurse who can nurse the baby. This, I mean, this is really craftily planned by Moses' mother. She said, yes, go, she said. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. How would you like to get your kid back and get paid to have your kid back? She disobeyed Pharaoh. She obeyed God. She fought in faith for the life of her child. She gives him up, and she gets him back plus pay. Is God good or what? I'm telling you that. I wish somebody would pay us for our kids. <laughs> she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Well, not everybody, we said, is called to do things that are public. Some of you will do some great things and maybe never be publicly recognized. Some people are meant to be an influence in the life of those who will make a public difference. But you got to remember in the kingdom, the reward's the same. God says that in heaven, many that are first shall be last, and many that are last shall be first. Because everybody's important. So somebody who influenced a Moses is just as important as Moses. Although we won't know the names of some of those people till eternity. So it doesn't matter where God placed you, you have a place of potential influence that can shape a nation. You just never know. In Matthew 5, we saw what Jesus said in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? By the way, salt affects everything it touches, and nothing affects salt. Nobody ever said, this salt tastes steaky. No, because salt affects everything it touches, and nothing affects salt. You are the salt of the earth. Salt is a purifying agent. It seasons. It gives spice to dull food. Some of you don't know that, but some of us like spice in our food, spice in life. You ought to brighten the room when you walk in. You ought to bring hope, encouragement. You're, you're, you're salt. Do you get that? You're not a dull blanket on people, judgmental, mean hate everything, hate everybody, against everything. No, no, we're, we're salt. And so salt has a purifying impact. And it doesn't take a lot of salt to change the tape of a big hunk of food, does it? All you cooks in here know that. 
So God's using that as an illustration of who we're supposed to be. He says, well, if it loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. That speaks about visibility. Remember in marketing in University of South Carolina, in one of my classes, they said, doing business without advertising is like kissing a girl in the dark. You know what you did, but nobody else does. So we want to tell our story. We want you to tell your story. We want, to, we want billboards. We want to make ourselves known. Use social media. Get the message out there. If it's hidden, what good is it? Nobody knows anything about it. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lamp stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So it's God's plan that we live lives that make some difference. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And we're destined to let that light shine before men. So they glorify the Father in heaven because of what they see. Now we looked at Moses as somebody who obviously made a difference. We looked at six obstacles that stood in the way of his dream coming true and making a difference. Then we looked at five qualities or characteristics that allowed Moses to make a difference. A quick review. We said Moses was fearless. To live a life that makes a difference means occasionally you got to take a risk. Getting married is a risk. Having children is a risk. Changing jobs is a risk. There's just about risk in anything worth having. There is a measure of risk. It's not foolish risk, but oh, it's a risk. And faith is spelled R-I-S-K. You have to trust God, get out of the boat if you're going to walk on the water. Otherwise, you'll just have to watch people and read about people who did it. But everybody that makes a difference has to have a little holy boldness, and every one of us face fear when we attempt to do something we've never done before. I do, you do, everybody does. The only difference is don't let it stop you. Just do it afraid. Face it. It, 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 will not, it will not diminish your strength. But if you run from it, it grows in its potential to hold you back. Well, I'm afraid that people won't ask people out, won't, won't ask for a job. I don't know where we get that. Be bold. Be audacious. Well, who do you think you are? I'm audacious. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask big. If I'm going to ask somebody out on a date, I'm going to ask somebody at least pretty. I'm not going to lower the bar just hoping I can get a yes from something. I'm just trying to give you some little pep up here. I'm cold, okay? I'm freezing. I, I'm going to start a fire up here or something. I don't know. Maybe somebody will watch me burn, but it's cold. I'm a, I don't like cold weather. Number two, we said, doing a little review, we said uh, another attribute, Moses had a passion for God. And because of passion, if passion for God isn't what drives us as believers, we'll be driven by selfish ambition, self-centeredness, or a personal need to be recognized. And we said God always responds to hunger and desperation. He loves that. Third, Moses was a learner. And we said it's a lifelong process of anybody who wants to make a difference. 
I don't care if you're the leader. I read, I listen, I go to seminars, I talk to other people in other areas. I'm learning all the time. You've got to keep upgrading and learning. If you stop learning, you become irrelevant. You do, and you don't know what happened. Whether you're in business or in sales, you got to keep tweaking and learning new techniques all the time. And although he's 80 years of age, Moses could take advice from his father-in-law, Jethro, and that advice helped resolve a national crisis. If he was unteachable, that wouldn't have happened. Proverbs 18, verse 15, the intelligent man is always open to new ideas. He looks for them. Make learning a lifelong process. What have you learned in the last six months you didn't know before? And don't just learn religious things. Learn about everything in life. Keep learning. It makes you interesting. It makes you able to walk in and fit in in any environment and be engaging to people if you're going to be a witness. But you've got to keep learning what's going on in the world. You know, occasionally look at a newspaper, listen, switch back and forth on the news. They're all biased. Of course they are. They all have spin, the no spin zone. They all have spin. They're all paid a million dollars. Somebody's spending something on both of them. So I'll switch over to Fox, then I'll switch over to CNN, and I'll try somewhere to find truth in the middle of the deal. But all of them are for sale, and all of them represent biased groups. I hope you know that. So you've got an intelligence God gave you and a brain and a mind. Read, listen, look, talk to other people, get perspective, keep learning. You can't just learn one thing and then you, you're out and that's it and you're not going to learn anything else forever. My goodness sakes, keep learning, keep staying sharp. Number four, we said Moses was selfless. Jesus said, if anybody will come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself. Boy, that definitely is not an American statement. Deny himself and follow me. Occasionally, you have to put yourself aside for the purpose of making an investment of others. If you're going to stay married 50 years, you better learn how to be selfless a lot. <laughs> it's true. If you can just get past that, if you can just get past that 20 year mark, you pretty much got it made, you know. Pretty much by then you get enough stupid out and you probably figure, I got this thing down now, okay. But it, it, male or female, it, 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 it's the same. You got you to gotta put yourself aside more often than you are comfortable with. You do. Uh, I have, I've got a number of NBA friends and had from the past, but I remember one of them gave up all of his Nike endorsement money in order to buy shoes and shirts for underprivileged children in South Africa. And uh, again, just occasional moments where you put yourself aside in order to enrich somebody else who can't help themselves. That's part of Christianity. Moses was willing to sacrifice himself to save the nation from God's wrath. He said, if you're, not, if you're going to destroy them, then just blot me out of the book of life. I mean, that's, I'm glad Moses wasn't an American minister. Uh, everybody would be dead and he'd be getting a new nation out of himself. Five, we said Moses made hard choices. You know, when you have big, clear vision, it's easier to make hard choices. If you don't, you'll vacillate and waffle all your life. And all of us will come to repeated forks in the road where you have to make a hard choice. Moses was willing to forsake wealth and position for what he saw in the future. Yeah. You know, you give up 
to go up. You have to sacrifice something. And so if the vision isn't big enough, you're not going to sacrifice anything. You won't make a hard choice. You'll be double-minded. And so there's always a price to pay for making a difference. To whom much is given, much shall be required. Whether you're leading a social injustice order like Martin Luther King Jr., look at the price, assassination. But he, but he made a difference in spite of it. And to, be, to get a monument made af, uh, of you and to, to have people revere you for so long after you've been dead, well, it only cost you assassination. Anybody want to step up and pay the price? See, oh, we want the glory. We want to, we want to be the person that makes a difference. But we don't want to pay the price for people to get there. You know, I don't know. People, people want what you have, but they don't want to go through the process you went through to get it. They just want to skip that step. Yeah, I, it's not going to happen. So, hey, I guess we could say, what are you willing to pay for the dream you have? For the difference you want to make, what price? If, it's, if you change anything in, in religion, you, oh, Lord God, you don't even need the devil. The Christians will kill you. It's just it's total idolatry what goes on. Uh, the criticism of people who change industry, economics, technology. They all got criticized, made fun of, but they changed the world. And I'm glad they didn't turn back because they had critics. If you're looking for a critic-free life, then do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. That's it. But if you're going to do anything, somebody's going to get mad. You're going to upset the balance of power if you try to change anything. So, it, it's really up to you. I just wish people had spent more time telling us about that, that, hey, this is normal. Folks ain't going to like you. Uh, you're going to have uh, power plays and resistance. And I've watched churches and governments and boards and little power groups split churches and all over power. Not, not God, over, over their little power and control. Terrible, terrible stuff. But it goes on in industry as well. Somebody wants to change the way a company, reorganize a company, then the people that have control are going to lose their position. They don't like it. And that's the way it goes. Suck it up. Too bad. <laughs> you want to be a change agent or do you just want to talk about it, see? You want to do something that hadn't been... Listen, if you come out of a family of non-achievers and you want to do something, even they will pick on you. You'll make them look bad. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? No, but I'd like to be if you'd leave me alone. I'm on my way. I'm trying. I don't want to end up like you. And if I don't do anything, that's exactly what I'm going to end up like. And so sometimes you have to even forsake father and mother. It's in Scripture. It doesn't mean you, don't, you hate them in any way. It just means the will of God is more important than them liking you or approving you. And they'll try to impose their will on you to talk you out of it. Okay, we close today. Four advantages that Moses had that helped him make a difference. Number one, Moses became effective as a byproduct of being raised in a resourceful family. Family did predict an outcome for this unusual man. I've recognized that people who have made a difference from when they were very young inevitably were people who have been raised in a healthy family environment where they had affirmation, recognition, and sometimes even prophetic confirmation. That's important. 
Now, you can still make a difference if you didn't have that, but it's just healthier and easier when a child at an early age is affirmed and encouraged and recognized for the gifts and talents that they have in a home. So if you didn't get that, I didn't get it, I made sure my kids got it, and I smother my grandchildren in it, right? Right, I want to give them, a sh I want to give them an advantage, okay? You didn't have it. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church out in California is a fourth-generation minister. By 18, he was traveling over the United States and different parts of the world preaching the good news. What made it possible for him at such an early age? He wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, he's had major impact around the world. But it was the resources of the people who raised him that left a mark on him. That means, parents, we have the capacity to leave a mark on our kids. Not to have them become what I want them to be, but to identify what God has put in that child. See, my job is to put character and value and integrity in my child. It's God's job to call them to what He wants them to be, not mine. Don't impose your unhappy, unfulfilled life on your kid. I want you to be what I never was and have what I never had. That may not be God's will for that child. You stop that. Quit trying to live your unfulfilled dream through your child. You're going to make them a freak. You, you know it's true, and there are people that do that. And it's really, really sad. It's emotionally disturbing. Okay. All I want, I don't care, people say, is your child going to go in the ministry? Is your child going to marry a preacher? Is your child? I said, that's none of my business. I, I want to put a love for God in them. I want to put great faith in them. I want them to be risk takers. I want them to have good character. And I'll let God do that part. That's not my job, to push them into, my, into a career. We have people in medical profession. Try, we had a lady years ago in our old location. She was a pediatrician because her father was a pediatrician, and he wanted her to be one, and she hated it. She, she was smart, so she became a pediatrician, but she hated it. And I preached a series I don't know, it was on something about our destiny or something, and she quit. She quit and went into another career that what she always wanted to do and loved to do. And she didn't realize she could actually just pull the plug, walk away, because she was doing what her daddy wanted her to do, not what she wanted to do, not what she felt gifted to do, where she had passion in it. So that's a good question. Am I doing what daddy wants me to do, or mommy wants me to do, or am I doing what I think God wants me to do? When I got in the ministry and, and surrendered to the ministry, I caught my, my Air Force father and military background says, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> I thought many times he might be right. <laughs> that old codger, he's 97 and still going, you know. I, I think he's changed his mind, though, by that. But I, I couldn't listen to that, you know. I couldn't listen to that. Neither can you. So. What are some benefits if you are raised in a, in a good, affirming family? Well, his mother recognized his uniqueness. She saw something unusual in this child, something significant. And for most people who make a difference, somebody somewhere along the way saw something in them and spoke to it. You can do that as parents, and you can do it in the body of Christ, because this is a family. 
See, if you see genuinely something in somebody, go to them and declare it. Because most people disqualify themselves. They don't think they're significant. So you're not wasting your time by saying something when you go and declare it. Uh, when you come along and say, boy, I tell you, I see this in you, the end result is confidence in the person. They've got confidence. Somebody recognized something in me. And it takes a while for that to kind of click in. So here's my life story. I'm in the 11th grade in South Carolina, and the 11th grade and 12th grade in high school had to do the morning devotions. It's a public school, and we actually did devotions. Nobody got shot. Nobody got knifed. Nobody got killed. Nobody had IED explosives. We just saluted the flag, did the Pledge of Allegiance, and had a morning devotion. Wow. That's for some of you liberals that, that, that think that's going to make us all wacky. Now, we've just gone nuts now. But we just, it was harmless, and it, it was like five minutes. And we each had to go in and rotation and take our turn to read from our daily bread a little devotion. That's just my turn. I got no thought about a future, nothing. I just read it. At the end of the class, two teachers come knocking on a door and pull me in the hall. And one of them is Future Farmers of America. Now, do I look like Future Farmer of America? No, they didn't want me to be in the farming business. They wanted me to be in the speaking business. And they wanted me to get into the Future Farmers of America so I could be in their national speaking contest. I never thought about that in my whole life. Never occurred to me in my whole life. And that set me on a course about speaking. I won the thing, by the way. Then I got in business, and I joined the Toastmasters. And they're supposed to help you speak. I won that contest, the state. Uh, then I went, then I, it hasn't occurred to me yet what's going on. But I could see people speaking about that to me. And then when I got in politics uh, and public relations director for an electric utility in South Carolina, I thought maybe I'd go into that. And so I helped Congressman Floyd Spence. He's deceased. He was a friend. He was a uh, best man at Cindy and our wedding. And people said, well, I thought you were much older. Of course, now I am much older, but I was like 24 or something. But they said, well, when you got up and spoke, you just took over the room. And I said, I didn't think about that. And all through my little life from a teenager, there have been little clues. And when I was really a bad boy in a rock and roll band, they would make me speak to the crowd and to the dish. And I'd those were clues. Are you paying attention? What are people saying to you? Uh, don't, if, if not just one time, but if you get multiple opinions like that, you ought to consider, hey, there's something going on God put in me. I need to let this thing out. That's going to be a key to my future. And I was just giving you my story, and I can tell you're excited about hearing it, so I won't, I won't tell you anymore, but that's what happened to me. And I never had an idea I'd end up in a church or preaching or anything. But the speaking part came early. It just came early. And I'm sure those can speak much better, but it's still a gift. Steven Spielberg was making home movies as a child. And he's made a lot of them since then too, right? I've paid a lot of money to watch Mr. Spielberg, but he started as a kid. He had a gift, and his family encouraged it. Secondly, Moses' sister watched after his well-being. 
Exodus 2 verse 4, and his sister stood afar off watching to see what would happen to him. Philippians 2 verse 4, let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. That's not saying it's wrong to take care of yourself. It's just saying learn how to take care of others as well. Look out for each other. Watch the back of your brother. Be protective of another person's reputation when they're not present. When people are starting down roads that are leading to destruction, jump in out of love. Tell them, caution them, warn them, try to capture their attention. That's real love. That's not warm and fuzzy. But I don't want you to destroy yourself if you're my friend and I love you. I want, I want to bless you and help you and prevent it. I talked to a friend from another nation yesterday. They called me and I said, you've been through two divorces and you've been uh, high blood pressure and hyper. And I, I would just sit down and I says, listen to me. I went to court and sat and gave up my whole day off to be with you. I love you. I could have done something else for my time that whole day than sit in court with you. And I said, you've made some very foolish choices. You need to quit trying to be approved, slow down, take a deep breath, and relax. You are never relaxed. You're always trying to tell me what new deal you got working, what. Calm down. I don't care what new deal you got going. How about some cheese and crackers and a glass of wine? Relax. Let's look at the water out. Look at that neat boat out there. And then he said, you know, you're right. I need to just calm down. I said, yeah, but you're always looking for approval. You haven't accepted yourself. You don't, if you're, you're going to be a weird person if you need other people to approve you uh, and you can't just like yourself. God made you other than your ugliness. He, when I mean ugliness, I mean character. He didn't make that. But he, your uniqueness, he made that. So share that with the world. That's what makes you, makes you fun. That's what makes us all different, huh? Yeah. And some of you not sure? I, I don't know. I, I don't want to be like everybody else. Third, his brother became his co-worker. That was Aaron. Moses kept telling the Lord he wasn't a good speaker. So finally God says, all right, all right. I'll give you Aaron your brother. I'll tell you what to say, Moses. You tell Aaron, and he will tell the people. That means nobody gets to make a difference alone. You need help. Jesus sent disciples out two by two. He sets the solitary in families. You cannot isolate yourself and make a difference. It, it, it takes a team to make a dream come true. You need other people to help you. I stand today in this profession, and what I know I've learned from other people over years, either through books or seminars or personal experience, I've learned. So I'm, I, I didn't just arrive here with what I know by myself, but I've been marked by other people. And if you've been around a while, I'm sure you have as well, right? Yeah. I've learned everything I know I've learned from other people. You have to, you have to keep learning. Um, you're going to stay married 50 years? You better keep learning. And, you, you, you know, when you said, I will, I do, you didn't know squat. None of us did. And, boy, if you keep, we, that's why we have seminars. That's why, that's why that we encourage you to get in one of the groups. You can learn to have a better marriage and a better relationship. Nobody has a perfect relationship, but you can have an enduring one and a good one. But not if you don't learn anything, dummy. you got to learn something. 
And I'm still learning as well. And every time I'll, and sometimes you just need to fine tune and tweak what you know. You, you, let, you quit doing it. You've stopped off. You've neglected it. Now you can go back and refine that. We all do. Every pilot has to go to refresher courses every six months to a skilled instructor to make sure your proficiency, you're sharp, you can do uh, engine out, you can do emergency procedures, you, a fire in an engine. How do you respond uh, over and over and over, shoot approaches until that instructor is absolutely confident you are, you are competent and certified to safely fly this airplane. And that goes on repeatedly. You can't just do your skill once and then fly forever like some of you with a driver's license. You'd never pass a test. The way you drive is pretty obvious to me. You could never pass a test out there. But somehow you've been able to keep that license back without having to do that. But boy, in aviation, you gotta, you got to pass these tests or you get your license revoked and you can't take off. And if you fly like I do, aren't you glad? Yeah. yeah. You don't want to get on American Airlines and a guy say, uh, welcome aboard American Flight 1812 to Dallas. Uh, Y'all pray for me. <laughs> I'll be saying, I'm, I'm praying. Open that door. I'm getting off this airplane. <laughs> so nobody gets to make a difference alone. And the best way to make a difference is to form relationships with people. People offer you different perspective. People offer you different gifts and talent, wisdom, insights. And the better, the bigger the team around you, the, the better options you're going to have to make a right choice. Yeah. They can, and this guy can open a door. This person has a connection. This person has resources. This person has great encouragement value to you. You feel better when you're around this person. They lift you. They encourage you. They inspire you. But you need that around you. Build relationships in your church family. Get into a small connect group. Learn what, what's really inside of people. You build a love and a trust with these people. And they can help you. Uh, everybody knows somebody who does something or knows somebody who knows somebody who does specialty in that area so God can take care of you. Yeah, there's people sitting around here that can solve the problem you've got this morning, and you don't know it because you're not connected enough. You know, you're a Texas Lone Star State. Nobody going to tell me anything. You come in, you go out, and the answer to your problem could be financial counsel, wisdom, investment advice, partnership advice. We've got people that specialize in that. could save you misery if you were connected. And you could, say, you could be introduced to these people. We've got medical people. We've got lawyer people. We've got public official people. All kinds of people that have connections in there to help you make a difference in life. So don't live to yourself. And fourth, Moses' father-in-law influenced him and resolved a potential crisis. He could take advice because it was wisdom, even though it was his father-in-law. His father-in-law says, Moses, the way you're leading is not good. You're going to burn out. You're going to end up in divorce court. You need to delegate responsibility to others. You are going to die doing this. And Moses had the right attitude recognized wisdom, implemented the plan, the crisis was averted. And fifth, Moses' mother was willing to let him go. She had seen the movie Frozen. <laughs> let it go, let it go. You know, occasionally you have to let go. I don't own you. The staff 
the board does not own you. Jesus Christ owns you. Don't you go to a church that possesses you like a cult. And if you dare to even think about leaving, you're going to hell or God is going to curse you. That's manipulation, witchcraft, and it's illegal. You cannot do that. Nobody can control. If God tells you to go, if God opens the door and there's wise counsel, all you're going to get from me, bless you. Bless you. If it's good for you, it can't be bad for me. And if it's bad for you, it ain't going to be bad for me, just bad for you. I'm, I'm just saying, let people go. Mama, let your daughter go. Don't follow her on the phone. If she wants you, she'll call you. Let her go. Release these children at the appropriate time. So we're to work with each other, affirm each other, love each other, but we are never to own one another. So that means occasionally give your child back to God. He can take care of that child. Second advantage Moses had was an education. First, he was educated in Pharaoh's house. He got the finest Egyptian education I suppose you could get, but that wasn't the education he needed. He received an education, secondly, in the school of God. That means to live a life that makes a difference requires some education. But I want to suggest your education might not be your education. Some of you have been educated, but you're never going to use it in the field of endeavor God has specified for you. Uh, that means every child is not supposed to get a four-year college education. That is a waste of money and time. They will never use that. If a child it wants to go into the beauty industry, cosmetology, there are schools that will give them expert skills in that. They don't need calculus. And they're going to make more money than the guy that's good in calculus if they're good in what they do. Because I know women will tell women, you got to come here. You got to get your nails, your makeup, or your hair done here. And they will put big money in the coffers of people they trust that do a great job. And then there are people in trades that have trade schools and education. So everybody needs an education. But you need an education in the area of your gift and your strength. Passion is overrated. Well, my son has a passion to be a rock and roll singer. Well, Simon Cowell said, who told him he could sing? Yes. Passion doesn't mean you got a gift. So passion is, is, it should come secondary. First, what are you good at? And singing ain't one of them. So what else are you, what could you be good at? And that's where you want to put your education in that area. I mean, I wasted I didn't waste. God redeems everything. But I'm an industrial engineer graduate, a marketing engineer, University of South Carolina, Clemson University. It was Clemson A&M when I went. Clemson was uh, 4,500 students, no girls, and it was military. Shave your head, drill with a rifle all day, glory. <laughs> now look at it. And I was there when it became a university, which meant it had to be co-ed. And the first 87 girls came on campus, the greatest day. <laughs> Happy days are here again. So my, my rock and roll lead guitar player and I took two guitars, went over to the girls' dorm, and we played, and we, we uh, dated. We, uh, that was a good day. Never forget that. Now it's thousands and thousands of students and all, but I, I remember well. And I, I, never used, I never used any of that. I can't even fix my sprinkler. Eric has to do it or whatever over here. 
That's just the way it is. But God used all that to direct me. But I'm just saying, I've learned every child doesn't have to go to college. Maybe it's a two-year college. Maybe it's a community college. Maybe it's one that embraces a trade. Does that make sense? And they'll be just as successful in that. Don't force them to go into this socialized education where we all have to have Western Civ and we have to have math or calculus and we have to have, uh, do all the English right and all, because they're graduates by the thousands can't get a job. So I want my kid to be sharp in what, they, what they're good at. They'll always have a job doing that. And third, Moses benefited from a revelation. God spoke to him concerning his purpose. It's difficult to live just by common sense alone and fulfill a destiny or make a difference. There has to be some kind of an internal voice or witness of God that you are mine and this is what you're for and this is where I'm sending you. Bear in mind Moses was 80 when he finally heard God. So it might not happen this morning for some of you. Is that okay? You got a shot at it. If you ain't 80 yet, you got a shot. All God has to do is speak one time, and He can change everything in your life. You don't need to hear Him a hundred times a day. You just need to hear Him once, and everything can change. And I've had that witness, too, about what to do coming here. This whole idea was like crazy. But uh, that inner witness of the Lord is impossible—it'll be confirmed by other people, too. Uh, some people say, well, God told me. Uh, meaning, I don't want any advice. Uh, that's, that's, boy, that, you should say, you know, Rick, I, I'm feeling the Lord saying, that's good. What do you think? Other people close to you, what do you think? Because the Bible says, in the mouth of two or more witnesses, let every word be, God does not speak to you alone, ever. Ever, whoever taught that is full of Satan. That's not true. God says two or three witnesses. So where are yours? Who'd you talk to about this? Who confirmed this? Nobody. It's just a big religious facade to get your way. I'm not going to make a major decision without those I'm closest to, first of all, my wife, being witness on this. Before coming here to start a church, I said to the Lord, I said, now look, this is a big deal. Uh, I'm not happy about it, number one. And number two, if Cindy's not buying in, I'm not about to do it. And I thought, I got you now, Lord. <laughs> she ain't never going to buy this. She's living too good with me, and this is not going to go well. And he changed her mind. Shoot. And that's why I'm here. So blame God, don't blame me. But I remember I didn't do it foolishly, and the people around me confirmed it. So, so remember that. God's got a couple of people in your life around you, and they'll help confirm God is speaking to you. And when you know God, when you just know you know, you, it gives you confidence and courage and boldness to face anything and press on through to see this dream come true. In Galatians 2, verse 2, Paul says, I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Paul didn't just make a choice to go arbitrarily. He went because it was revealed to him he was to go and what he was to say. So people were appointed by revelation to leadership in the New Testament book of Acts. God spoke, it was confirmed by others, and they separated people. And when they went to minister, and where they went was directed by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit said, don't go. A revelation's important. 
And that was the same revelation that brought me to San Antonio. I had no invitation from the city council. I had a witness of God's spirit, not only in my spirit, but through those closest to me. Fourth and last, Moses had a revelation of purpose. Purpose. Because God spoke, Moses knew what he was for. A life without purpose is simply an experiment. Purpose will fuel your passion to sacrifice, to reach, to go, to speak, to do whatever it is God's going to require of you in life. Here's an excerpt from a book that I enjoyed some years back called Repacking Your Bags by Richard Leder, L-E-I-D-E-R. He writes, a purpose is not a goal. A goal is something that can be reached. A purpose, that's never achieved. It exists before you. It lives on after you're gone. Purpose is a direction, like west. No matter how far west you go, there's still more west to travel. And like directions, a purpose helps you choose where to go along the route. Purpose is your lodestar, your personal compass of truth. It tells you in any given moment whether you're living your life on purpose or not. You use your purpose to set your course in life. It's the quality around you which you center yourself. Without a clear sense of purpose, you're at the mercy of shifting terrain on the outside world. Your purpose is not something you have to invent. It's something you discover. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's already there. But when you do name it, you will know that you've known it all along. And often it takes a crisis for people to discover or rediscover their purpose. Remember, a revelation is essential. Purpose will follow. Stability is the byproduct. The process of a dream. Everybody is given a dream by God, but very few ever fulfill it. And all I want to do is come alongside and encourage you. It's worth it. Go for it. But it's not easy, it's not cheap, and it's not quick. But it is worth it. If you want to make a dramatic difference, it won't be quick. So I'm in this thing for the long haul. And we judge way too quick. How many people have made the front page of Christian magazines or albums and they're gone? They're not even around now. And I don't mean they died. I mean uh, tragedy struck, uh, scandal struck, whatever, and they're gone. Hey, I'm in this, I'm, I want to be a long-term player in this deal. And good character, solid purpose, a good foundation will outlast a gifted leader or person every time. Because if you don't have stability and you don't have clear vision and focus, you're going to waffle all over the place, even with gift, and you just get in big trouble. And it happens every year. I lose friends and we watch people go. So you may not be tap dancing cute, but you, you may be plugging along doing just well, following your vision and the purpose of God for your life. And you'll be surprised how many people will be enriched off your life, starting with our children. If that's the biggest of impact I get, that'll do our kids. And then there are friends and people that we've impacted by the thousands that have come through here. And some of you, I've heard testimonies from people in small groups, how their lives have been changed, being friends with two or three people in a small connect group, and they've forever altered. You didn't get any credit down here, but you will from God. And I, I urge you, don't just live to yourself. Live, live for others. Jesus said, I came to serve and to give my life for many. And that's going to be our, that's our purpose forever in the ways that we do it. Amen. 
For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.